Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Friday, May 12, 2023. The feast of Pope St. Julius I, who reigned from 337 to 352. And he for he is honored for his courageous defense of the Catholic faith against the Arian heresy. And during his papacy, he faced challenges from Eusebius, who continued to promote Arianism and harbored hostility against St. Athanasius, the Bishop of Alexandria. When Eusebius opposed St. Athanasius, he returned to his see. They appealed to Pope Julius for resolution. In response, the Pope conveyed the Council of Sardicia in 343. He warmly welcomed St. Athanasius to Rome and reaffirming his support for the Alexandrian bishop, his teachings, and his position. The Council addressed critical matters concerning the Catholic faith and the objection raised by the Arian followers of Eusebius and the complaints lodged against St. Athanasius. Pope Julius I, together with the Council Fathers, deposed and excommunicated eight prominent Arians, removing them from their Episcopal offices and cutting them off from the faithful. In recognition of Pope Julius's steadfastness and leadership, the Bishop of the Council sent him a remarkable letter titled Quad Semper Credimimus. In this letter, they expressed their belief that the Pope, despite his physical absence, was present with them in spirit and shared their convictions. They acknowledge the importance of reporting to the head of the church, the see of the apostolic Peter, to safeguard the flock against schismatic wolves and heretical adversaries. Pope St. Julius I's unwavering commitment to upholding Catholic doctrine and defending the church from heresy serves as a shining example of his sanctity and fidelity. May his steadfastness inspire us to courageously defend the faith in our own lives and stand firm against any threats to the truth. Pope St. Julius I, pray for us. Happy Friday to you. Praise be to God. I hope you are having a blessed Friday. Hope everything is going very well so far and that it's off to a good start. And I wonder what you're up to this weekend. On my docket, I have a full weekend packed to the brim. Today, I am going to be going to my, my last class of the semester on the History of uh, Modern Errors, a very interesting class, a uh, philosophy class with Dr. Theodore Rebard. Uh, after that, I, we have the Houston Coalition for Life has their gala today. And tomorrow, uh, me and some friends are going to go to the shooting range afterwards. Uh, and my brother, actually. We're going to the shooting range afterwards. Uh, my friend is graduating from uh, University of Houston Clear Lake, I believe. I think that's right. Don't quote me on that. And then I have uh, some, another graduation party to go to. Uh, Sunday is going to be another busy day. So all sorts of things going on all weekend long. So I, I'm curious about what you're up to. So if you can join us on the after show, hop on to our social media streams. I'd love to interact with you directly. Uh, but good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. What a wonderful day to, it is today. A little hectic for myself this morning, but wow, it's Friday. We made it through the week. And uh what a coincidence! I'll be I'll be seeing you tonight at the at the benefit dinner, so that'll be fun. Absolutely. What else you got going on this weekend? Anything interesting? Yes, we're going to be going and celebrating uh, a feast day tomorrow, the Our Lady of Fatima at uh, at uh, Holy Rosary, and Sunday I think we're meeting up with friends for lunch, but uh, attending mass early in the morning. 
There you go. There you go. I did the, oh, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. You're right. Yeah. Wow. I completely forgot about that. That's a, a, a great thing to, to keep in mind today as well. The Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, May 13th. Praise be to God. Um, let's, let's keep that in mind over this uh, weekend as well. All right. The, at 15 past the hour, we're going to be playing a little package created by uh, Wyatt Goldsby, who is our executive director here in Houston. He did a package on the Shroud of Turin exhibit in Houston. So we're going to be talking about that for a brief moment there. Plus, a uh, major migrant crisis. Very interesting the way the people in Chicago are responding to what you're thinking. What does Chicago have to do with the border? That's pretty far away. We'll talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Pope Francis canonizes schismatics. How does that work? We'll talk about that at 30 past the hour. And in the next hour, uh, we're going to be talking divine simplicity with Dave Palmer out of our Dallas office with Back to the Father. So you're going to want to tune in for that. So, so much going on today, and we are going to be, it's going to be a great time. I'm very excited. So let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for anything and everything that's going on in your life. We pray for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. And especially, in a special way, we pray for uh, Peter Gabriel Navarro, who is in the NICU at the moment. Um, we prayers for him. And prayers for all Texans, especially those in Allen and Brownsville area. And also prayers to my goddaughter, Shauna, who got graduated from Texas A&M yesterday. So there you go. Um, what is it? Uh, Hook'em Aggies? Is that what it is? I forget. I forget. <laughs> anyway, anyway, whatever it is, uh, congratulations to all the graduates around the world, around the United States, around Texas. Everybody graduates about this time. So congratulations to all graduates. We're praying for all of you in a special way. My goddaughter, Shauna. Let's begin. We'll pray the Subtum Presidium which is an ancient prayer, third century prayer at least, probably earlier, prayer dedicated to the Blessed Virgin. We'll pray it together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Subtuum presidium confugimus sancta dei genitrix, nostra deprecationes ne despicias in necessitatibus, seda periculis cuntis, librenos semper, vergo gloriosa, et benedicta. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers. O glorious and blessed Virgin, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Thank you, Adrian. Today is March uh, May 12th in the year of our Lord, 2023, on this Friday. And these are your headlines. LifeSide is reporting Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion organizations are helping to bankroll a multi-million dollar ballot initiative campaign aimed at enshrining the right to abortion up to fetal viability, about 24 weeks gestation into the Florida state constitution. Catholic News Agency is reporting that the first UK baby that has been born after being conceived via three-parent embryo modification technique, technique with co- uh, via a three-parent embryo modification technique though these experts warn that the new technique destroys other newly conceived embryos in the process of inserting healthy genetic material to address a genetic genetic flaw in a mother's eggs. The Oxford-based Catholic Bioethics Research Center offers caution and strong criticism, challenging the technique on other grounds, including the fracturing of biological parenthood and the potential for a serious unintended consequences. Catholic News Agency and Vatican News are reporting Pope Francis added Coptic Orthodox martyrs to the liturgical book of saints. 
Pope Francis expressed that desire for greater Christian unity on Thursday during an audience in the Vatican with Coptic Orthodox Pope Tawadros II. In his address, Pope Francis said 21 Coptic Orthodox martyrs would be inserted into the Roman martyrology as a sign of the spiritual communion that unites our two churches. And finally, LiveSide is reporting in Nashville. News agency is suing the Biden FBI for refusing to release transgender Nashville shooters manifesto. A news agency has sued the Biden administration's Federal Bureau of Investigation for failing to grant a request to obtain the manifesto of the gender-confused shooter who killed six people in Nashville earlier this year. Those are your headlines this morning. God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment that you should love one another as I have loved you. This is the greatest love a man can show that he should lay down his life for his friends. And you, if you do all that I command you, are my friends. I do not speak of you any more as my servants. A servant is one who does not understand what his master is about. Whereas I have made known to you all that my father has told me, and so I have called you my friends. It was not you that chose me, it was I that chose you. The task I have appointed you is to go out and bear fruit, fruit which will endure, so that every request you make of the Father in my name may be granted you. These are the directions I give you that you should love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of the Day, the commentary from Cornelius Lapide, is so great and so long, though, that we, as always, will not be able to cover it all. In fact, we're only going to be able to cover one verse. So make sure you look up Cornelius Alapide's great commentary in the Gospels. Pull up this Gospel and read it in full. It's definitely worth the time and effort because it is a great commentary. We're only going to be able to talk about verse 13. That is, this is the greatest love a man can show, that he should lay down his life for his friends. Now, this is the commandment here. And Cornelius Alapide's commentary here, he says, Greater love hath no man. Christ here sets forth the manner and terminus or extremity of his love wherewith he loves us, and of that wherewith he wills that he should love one another. As though he said, I have supremely loved you. Therefore, I require the same of you, and you have a right to ask it, that ye should supremely love one another. For the highest and supreme love is that in which a man not only gives his substance, but his life, that is, freely offers and lays it down for his friends. This I do for you, I will presently lay down my life for you. Do you therefore in like manner give your lives for your friends and neighbors in such a manner, that ye do not refuse but welcome all labors? perils, persecutions, and every kind of torment and death for their salvation? Now notice what he says here. For their salvation. What does it profit a man to lay down their life for somebody if it's not for their salvation? That's the most, the most important part of it. Do you therefore in like manner give your lives for your friends and neighbors in such a manner that ye do not refuse but welcome all labors, perils, persecutions, and every kind of torment and death for their salvation. This is very important. He goes on, he says, you may say it is greater charity if anyone laid down his life for his enemies and then he laid down his life for his friends. 
Some reply to this by saying that the meaning is, there cannot be among men a greater love than to die for a friend. But mine is a greater love for you because I die for my enemies. To save her enemies was unnecessary, for it is it never done among men, where, whereas the friendship of Palladius and Orestes is being willing to die for one another is the, is the theme of everyone's praise as something exceedingly rare. And this is St. Paul's argument in Romans 5, for scarcely for a just man doth anyone die. But perchance, someone would dare to die for a good man. But God commands his love to us. This is very important because here he's referencing the fact that we, as God's, are God's enemies by our sins. By our sins, we are God's enemies, but yet our Lord says that he, we are his friends. He has made us his friends despite that we have set ourselves in opposition to him. A wonderful and beautiful thing. He goes on and says the, comp the comparison here is not between friends and enemies, but between the acts of friendship. Thus, among all the acts and offices of friendship, none is greater than this, that anyone should lay down his life for his friends. This I have about to do for you who are my friends, if ye keep my commandments. And most fully, friends are here called not those who love, but those who are loved, such as may even be enemies. It means greater love there cannot be than his who dies for his friends, i.e. for those whom he loves and accounts his friends, even though they in fact may not be his friends, but in fact his enemies. Thus, Christ laid down his life upon the cross for all men who at the first were sinners and therefore his enemies. But many of them, through the death of his and the grace that floweth from it, have been justified and so become his friends and disciples. The apostles and apostolic men, that means you and I, if we want to be apostolic men, following Christ have done the same. And all Christians whatsoever ought to do the like, namely, when the salvation of a neighbor's soul is in peril, to expose their lives to rescue it, even though the neighbor be an enemy. Ye are my friends, if ye do as I command. This sentence refers to what precedes. Thus I lay down my life for you as my friends. Do you in return render love for love, loving me as my friends who have loved you? And this ye will do if you keep my commandments, amongst which the chief, and embracing all the rest, is that ye love one another. And what does it mean to love one another? Is to will the good for them. What is the good for them? Salvation. Salvation, salvation. That's the biggest good. We'll be right back with the Shroud of Turin right after this. Hey, Donnie, what does the catechism say that the purpose of life is? Well, no love and serve God can be happy in the next. That's right. So we can be happy with him in the next life. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there's a lot of interesting stories in the news today, but one that caught my eye, actually. In fact, uh, our CEO, is it, is, is, what is Toya's uh, official title? I just know her as the big boss. President? Uh, here. No, 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 no. That's Sammy Rodriguez. But uh, she's not the CEO. That would be Lynn, so she would be COO? Is that right? I yeah, don't even know. chief operating. I officer. think that's right. I think that's right. But uh, Toya actually sent me an article that our Sunday visitor put out last night. Um, yesterday, she sent me this text with the the sun. Our Sunday visitor put out an article on the Shroud of Turn exhibit, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. What was it? Two, three, three weeks ago. Yeah, three yeah. weeks ago we were talking about the the Shroud of Turin exhibit. And then we, the next week, we talked about it after uh, we were able to go and visit it. Um, but coincidentally, Wyatt uh, Goldsby, our executive director here in the Houston office, had put together a package because he went through and interviewed some of the people at the exhibit itself. And uh, we put to, so he put together a, a package there. And I wanted to play that for y'all. And it's a good timing considering the uh, this article came out 15 hours ago. So excellent, excellent timing, Wyatt. Uh, so if you go ahead and uh, play that for us, Tito. You got it. For more than 600 years, the Shroud of Turin has captivated believers and skeptics alike. The 14-foot linen cloth in Turin, Italy, bears the faint image of a crucified man, frontal and dorsal. To millions of Catholics, it's more than just a historical item. It's the Holy Shroud, the same one 2,000 years ago that was used to wrap Christ after his crucifixion, and the same one upon which Christ's image is imprinted. It's almost like God's giving me a little preview for my weak faith to say, hey, here I am. Father Jared Lore is a member of the Legionaries of Christ, an order of priests and seminarians focused on being missionaries in today's world. Father Jared delved deeper into the Shroud's history while he was studying theology in Rome and giving tours for the Vatican museums. He says talking about the Holy Shroud garnered the attention of tourists of all ages and backgrounds. You'd have kids who would say, I always thought the faith was my grandma's thing, and I can never ask questions. Or you'd have someone say, I always thought I just had to take hits for the faith. I didn't know it was something that was real and tangible and that is defendable, like defended by this image. Father Jared notes the church does not require Catholics to believe the Shroud of Turin is the burial cloth of Christ, but millions do. It's why he helped to arrange for a full-size replica to be sent to the National Museum of Funeral History, located in Houston. Partnering with him was Nora Creech, who has been working since 2018 to bring a certified copy of the Shroud to the U.S. from the Archdiocese of Turin in Italy. 
She also helped in establishing a permanent exhibit at the museum so that visitors can learn more about what they call the most famous burial of all time. We're hoping that they will leave here asking a lot of questions about what is the shroud, who is the man of the shroud, and what does that mean to me. Creech says the exhibit highlights the decades of research that have tried to answer those questions. The most well-known effort was the Shroud of Turin Research Project in the late 1970s. The team's goal was to figure out what formed the image of the man who had been scourged, crowned with thorns, and marked with the wounds of crucifixion. Documenting photographer Barry Schwartz remembers the team getting permission to do extensive hands-on testing for five days. One of the things I said was, well, you know, give us five or ten minutes, we'll find the paint, we'll come home. But Schwartz quickly realized it was not going to be a five to ten minute job. He says the team could tell there was no paint, no pigments. But as to what actually left the mark of the man on the burial cloth, they didn't have a scientific answer. And of course I've had 45 years to think about it and study it. And of course I have my own photographs of it, so I've been able to study it up close and personal. Schwartz, who is Jewish, has in the decade since found himself pushing back against critics who say the shroud is only of interest to Christians. They can't challenge the science, so they go down the list of all the things that they think proves the shroud is a fake. When it gets to the science, they dismiss it with a wave of the hand. Schwartz says everyone has the right to express their opinion about the shroud without having their faith attacked. Creech says that the exhibit in Houston will garner interest from believers and non-believers, but she adds it's possible non-believers could be drawn to the faith by learning more about the burial cloth. There's nothing like it in the world. It's the most unique image in the world. I believe it was left for us for such a time as this, that there are new revelations due to technology where we can learn about the passion of Jesus that we're only starting to learn, and who knows what other mysteries could be revealed in the Shroud in the future. She hopes highlighting the many unanswered questions will lead to more Shroud research efforts in the decades to come. This is Wyatt Goolsby reporting. Thank you very for much, than- Wyatt Goolsby, for uh, covering that for us, the, our executive director here out of Houston. And that, that's, uh, that's a great thing. We talked about this extensively twice, and a lot of things could be said more about the Shroud of Turin. So if you're in the Houston area, I highly recommend checking out the, the Shroud of Turin exhibit because there's nothing like it uh, in the United States. It's the only one that has a authentic um, replica. So make sure you check that out if you can. And if you're outside of Houston, well, maybe make a trip out here sometime and come see it. It's a absolutely a great uh, time. So go ahead and do that if you get the chance. But on to other news. The major migrant crisis is coming up, and everyone's talking about it. There's a lot to be said about it. But, you know, we talked about the fact that the, the, the population just can't handle this kind of crisis. And I thought this story kind of exhibited this in a very real, in a very tangible way. Now, here at a reported by the Daily Wire, Chicago residents informed the city plans to take in 250 migrants. Watch how they react. Residents of Chicago's South Shore community were not thrilled when they learned the city planned to take in some 250 illegal immigrants, a number that they said was fluid and could increase over time. During a public meeting addressing the situation, residents raised questions regarding the crime and the safety and asked why the city had not bothered to consult the people who lived in the community before making plans to bring more people in. The, the meeting began with the Chicago Chief Engagement Officer, Nubia William, who tried to impress upon the residents that they were trying to help migrant, help mitigate a humanitarian crisis. 
but the crowd began to shout her down before she could even finish her first sentence. What What's important is that we really establish that this is a humanitarian crisis, she began, but people shouting in the crowd interrupted her. When the time came for public comments on the issue, the residents and city leaders who chose to speak made it clear that they did not approve of the city's plan. While this crisis may constitute an emergency for the city of Chicago, it does not constitute an emergency for the South Shore community, 8th Ward Alderwoman Michelle Harris said, prompting cheers and applause from the crowd. City leaders attempted to explain that the plan included converting an old high school building into a respite center for illegal immigrants, but the residents were not receptive to any of the officials' explanations. When it comes to the total number of people in South Shore at any given point in time, it is fluid, one official said. We start with 250, 500. The crowd erupted in response, and then a resident stepped up to the microphone. How could you do that without consulting us, she asked. Another added, I am concerned with safety in the area. Chicago has been a self-proclaimed sanctuary city where city officials are not permitted to enforce federal immigration laws. Since former Mayor Harold Washington first issued an executive order to that effect in 1985. However, the recent surge in migrants arriving in Chicago has led to police departments being overwhelmed and outgoing Democrat Mayor Lori Lightfoot declaring a state of emergency. We've reached a breaking point, she said. Now, this is very interesting to me because these are the same people who are trying to tell us Texans and other people on the border, Florida, Floridians, and people in California, telling us that we have to accept all these migrants, all these people coming through and take care of them. When they, people in Chicago, can't even seem to take in 250 people. And that's a major U.S. city. Chicago, one of the largest cities in America. And they're saying, we cannot handle 250 people. We cannot handle 500 people. Do not send them to us. We're worried about the safety. We're worried about how this affects our lives. Yes, it may be a humanitarian crisis, but it is not our crisis, they say. Now, this is a position that this is very reasonable. It's a very reasonable position. But why is it that Texans are not allowed to have that position? Why is it that Texans are evil and bad for wanting to protect our territory, for wanting to have a little bit of our own land that belongs to us? Why are we the bad guys in that situation? And why are we the bad guys if we send migrants across America to all these sanctuary cities? There are cities all over America who have claimed we are a sanctuary city. But if we send migrants to them, Everybody loses their mind. Why is that the case? Perhaps it's because in reality, we know that we don't know who these people are. We don't know who's coming across the border. We don't know who it is. It could be people who are, are criminals. How many times have we seen stories of MS-13 gang members coming through the border? How many times have we seen people who are sex trafficking or human trafficking in general coming through the border? How many times have we seen things like this? And not to mention, just assuming every single person is actually a good, well, upstanding citizen, we simply cannot handle it. We simply do not have the infrastructure necessary to take care of this many people and to put them into the workforce and put them into housing. We do not have the resources to do this. 
Go ahead. You and I know that, and many people, half the, at least half this country, understands the stress that the infrastructure is taking at the border. Unfortunately, the other half, and, and when I say the other half, I actually mean those in office, the Democrats, the, the left-leaning Republicans, always wanting to push open borders, ignoring the, the, the issues that we bring up about the stress on the infrastructure. And so they, they live in a bubble thinking that we're just making noise to, to block their agenda. But when, once Governor Abbott started sending these migrants to New York City or Chicago, immediately, within days, not even the end of the week, Eric Adams of New York and Lightfoot of Chicago started complaining Lightfoot was complaining before they were coming in because she saw the the mess that New York was was getting it. And Adams is very visibly upset with the Biden administration, not with Abbott, with Biden, because his legacy is in is is going going down the drain. He's a new mayor and he's he's not getting things done that he promised to get things done because of this quote unquote distraction. So people are unaware because they're listening to only their side of the media. But when they see it on the streets of Chicago and New York and soon many other major metropolises, they can see that this is something uh, as far as the infrastructure can, that can take that not, that we cannot absorb so quickly, so fast, if any. Well, there you go, folks. It's uh, not a good situation to be in, certainly. And it's not charitable to the people coming over. It's not charitable to the people who live here. It's not charitable to the country itself. Countries have to have borders. Otherwise, you're not a country. So very, very concerning situation that we see there in the border. There are many other the news that are, kind of, that are very concerning that I wanted to bring up. I mean, we just don't have time. Maybe we'll get into it in the next segment. The FDA changes policies to allow gay and bisexual men to donate blood. That's very concerning. And people are like, oh, why is it concerning? Because HIV, AIDS, all these different things typically is in the blood of people in the LGBT community. That's why they get tested for STD so often, because they often have all these different STDs. So maybe we'll get into that story. Also, we Tito had mentioned in the, in the news break earlier, uh, UK's first three-parent baby born using DNA replacement technology. I would love to talk about that if we get a chance. Uh, but coming up, a incredibly concerning story. Pope Francis adds 21 Coptic Orthodox quote-unquote martyrs to Catholic list of saints. Can schismatics be saints? We'll talk about that after the break. So you're going to want to stay tuned. Much more at Catholic Drive Time right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. I would imagine your pastor preaches from the text which says, we preach Jesus Christ crucified. So then, where's the crucifix in your church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Under the dread of persecution and death, the crucifix was displayed at Mass, but with great caution due to the threats of the Roman emperors and the pagan haters of Christianity. Traveling up through time, Pope Pius V in 1570 made it mandatory to display a crucifix in every church. Secondly, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1 says, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block. You see, there was never any embarrassment of his corpse. In fact, two men of great renown, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, boldly handled the dead body of Jesus. And thirdly, my comeback. You see, at times, the early church held mass in the catacombs to honor the shed blood of the brave martyrs. Sad to say, many contemporary churches don't even have a cross in their church, let alone a crucifix. Also, could a crucifix on your neck cause others to think you are Catholic? St. Peter, it must have been horrible when you heard that rooster crow. Catholic Radio gives us something all day, every day, to fill our lives with our faith. We are completely inundated by the world. 
constantly every time you go out shopping, the music that's playing, the, the visuals that you see, TV, everything. We need Catholicism filling our minds. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Friday, May 12, 2023, in the year of our Lord. And these are your headlines for this morning. LifeSide is reporting Illinois passes a bill to defund libraries that keep sexually explicit books away from children. While much of the country cracks down on grooming material, Illinois is moving in the opposite direction with a new law that will penalize schools for not allowing children unfettered access to such material. Any library or library system that fails to adopt the new Bill of Rights or adopt an equivalent policy against the removal of materials will be ineligible for state grants under the bill, which has cleared both chambers of the Illinois legislature and is expected to be signed into law by the Democrat government. Achi Prensa is reporting men from more than 40 countries joined together May 6 for the Worldwide Men's Rosary, praying on their knees before the Virgin Mary so that men would once again be valued in society and for the conversion of the entire world. The Men's Rosary was also held in various cities in Colombia, Peru, Venezuela, Chile, Puerto Rico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Panama, Ecuador, Paraguay, Cuba, Brazil, Honduras, Ukraine, Italy, Croatia, Australia, Indonesia, a Muslim-majority country, and the Philippines, the country with the most Catholics in Asia, as well as others. Catholic News Agency is reporting Pope Francis welcomes a program to spiritually adopt a struggling teen. Pope Francis has given his blessing to a program started in Poland to spiritually adopt struggling teenagers and pray for them by name. Krzysztof Gorowiska and his wife, Aneta, spent more than two hours with Pope Francis at his Vatican residence on May 4th. During the visit, they were able to introduce their new online initiative, PrayForTeens.org. The four is a number. And finally, The Daily Wire is reporting a DeSantis lawsuit against the Biden admin halts disastrous policy as borders set to be overrun. A lawsuit by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' administration on Thursday against the Biden administration has stopped Biden's Department of Homeland Security from being able to release illegal aliens into the U.S. if officials at the border are unable to deal with large influxes of people due to the overcapacity. I am Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. And, you know, it's really interesting to me. Because there are always things that are going on in Rome that are very concerning. And I don't know. It's kind of like I don't want to play the game of trying to rank the absolute worst things happening in the Vatican. Because there are always bad things happening in the Vatican. There's always bad things going on. But this story, for it just really, really rubs me the wrong way. Because there are a lot of bad things happening. And this just seems to be... It, it, there has there's so many reverberating effects of this that people are not seeing right off the bat, and it's worthy of a, a lengthier conversation. A Pope Francis adds Coptic quote unquote martyrs to liturgical books of saints. Now, there's a number of things that need to be discussed here, and I want to start here. We'll circle back to it at, uh, later, but I want to start here. Uh, the question of whether or not canonizations are infallible. This is a disputed question of theology. So anybody who tries to tell you that it is infallibly defined that canonizations are infallible is not telling you the truth. That is just not, simply not the case. Even Dr. John Joy, who believes that canonizations are infallible, who we'll be interviewing later, 
he, in his book, Disputed Questions on Papal Infallibility, he defends the fact that canonizations are infallible, but he puts it in a book, talked about the disputed questions of papal infallibility, because it is, in fact, a disputed question. There's positions on both sides. He falls on the side of saying that it is, in fact, infallible. But there is a great book as well that I have here as well in my hand, Are Canonizations Infallible? Revisiting a Disputed Question. It is a collection of essays by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 different theologians and philosophers talking about the question of are canonizations infallible? And there are people holding different positions, people who all are very orthodox, people like Father Thomas Crean, a Dominican friar of the English province, a people like uh, Joseph Shaw, people like Father J- uh, Jean-Francois of the Jesuit order, uh, people like uh, William Diem, who he's a, a, well, a prof- he was a professor at the University of St. Thomas. I think he just moved to a different university recently, but he was there at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. So there's people who hold various positions on this issue. It is not a settled question, and and I think we are currently testing the theories. So people hold different theories about whether or not canonizations are infallible, and now we're basically testing the limits of these rules. So the story. Pope Francis adds Coptic Orthodox martyrs to liturgical books of saints. The Pope met with Tawadros II and other Coptic Orthodox representatives at the Vatican on May 11th. In his speech, Pope Francis said he has no word to express his gratitude for the Orthodox leader's gift of relics of the Coptic martyrs who were beheaded by ISIS on a beach in Libya on February 15th, 2015. May the prayer of the Coptic martyrs united with that of the Theotokos continue to grow the friendship between our churches until the blessed day when we can celebrate together at the same altar and commune in the same body and blood of the Savior that the world may believe, Francis said. Trois the II said that Coptic Orthodox Church has recognized the holiness of the Coptic martyrs and celebrates them with other modern martyrs every 8th of Amshir, the sixth month of the Coptic calendar, which roughly corresponds to February 15th in the Gregorian calendar, which is our calendar. Today, we hand over part of their relics, dipped in their blood, shed in the name of Christ for the church, so that they may be remembered in the martyrology of all the churches of the world. And know we too are surrounded by such a multitude of witnesses, he said. Precisely because the saints are one of the main pillars of our church, beginning with the apostles Peter, Paul, and Mark, Tuadoros said, we now write in the martyrology of the churches the new martyrs who have guarded the faith and bore witness to Christ, who do not lose heart in the face of torture, and passed on to us a living example of martyrdom. This is very, very concerning because these people are not Catholics. They are not Catholics. They are Coptics. And you also have to recognize the Coptics are not even in communion with other Orthodox. There are a few Orthodox communities that are in communion with them, but in general, they are not. This is opposed to the Coptic Catholic Church, which is in communion with Rome, which is part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. The Orthodox, the Coptic Orthodox, are not in communion with us. They are schismatics. They are actually schismatics, not like the traditionalists that everybody calls schismatics. These people are actual schismatics. This is very concerning. So now we're saying that non-Catholic Christians 
can be included in the martyrology. Now, people debate on whether or not the Coptics are even uh, Christians because some are, uh, allege that they are monophysites, which means they say that our Lord's natures are blended together. They're both human and divine mixed together. That's the nature of Christ, which is a, the monophysite heresy. Now, some Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox will claim that's not the case, and I have never studied the issue in depth, so I'm just going to lay that out there that some people accuse them of this. They claim that's not the case, but that is, in fact, something that is a real accusation against the Coptic Orthodox Church. Now, the reason why this is concerning is because what does this mean? What does this mean for canonizations? What does this mean for the status of non-Catholics? What does this mean for the truth of the church if somebody can say, oh, you know what? Extra ecclesia nullus salus, the dogma of the church that's been taught for 2,000 years, there's no salvation outside the church? Yeah, we don't believe that anymore. No, mm-mm, not true anymore. We deny that even. How can that be? How can that be that Pope Francis can come out and canonize non-Catholics and declare them martyrs. This goes against everything the church has ever taught. Now, Pope Francis has previously said things like this in the past, and he's done similar things to this in the past. For instance, according to uh, Asia News, reporting for out of Rome, said, many fellow Christians, this is a, them quoting Pope Francis, many fellow Christians today suffer persecution in the name of Jesus. When their blood is shed, even if they belong to a different confession, together they become witnesses of faith, martyrs united in the bond of baptismal grace. How can that be the case when the Council of Florence says the exact opposite? The Council of Florence in 1438 to 1445 declared, quote, the most holy Roman church firmly believes, professes, and proclaims. That sounds like an infallible statement to me. The Holy Roman Church firmly believes, professes, and proclaims that those not living within the Catholic Church, not only pagans, but also Jews and heretics and schismatics, cannot become participants in eternal life, but will depart into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels, unless... Before the end of life, the same have been added to the flock, and that the unity of the ecclesiastical body is so strong that only to those remaining in it are the sacraments of the church a benefit for salvation, and do fasting, almsgiving, and other functions of piety and exercise of Christian service produce eternal reward, and that no one, whatever almsgiving, almsgiving he has practiced, even if he has shed the blood for the name of Christ, can be saved unless he remain in the bosom and unity of the Catholic Church. It says explicitly, no one, even if he has shed the blood for the name of Christ, can be saved unless he remains in the bosom and unity of the Catholic Church. This is a hard saying, and many people will not be able to accept it. But this is the teaching of the church. This is what his church has always taught. So how can we say the opposite today? How can we say the opposite today when this has never been the case before? 
And what else has the church said on this topic? According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no commentary needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. Hey, Donnie, in what gospel do we find the Hail Mary prayer? The gospel of Luke. Do we worship Mary? No. What do we do? Ask her to pray for us. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Before we went to break, we were talking about the situation with the Coptics. And this is a very concerning story. Very, very concerning. Now, the church has always taught that you have to be in the Catholic church to be saved. Always has taught this. It doesn't say the church, generally speaking, or any church, any Christian. It says Catholic church. And this is expressed no better than with St. Augustine. St. Augustine, one of the doctors of the church, says, No man can find salvation except in the Catholic Church. Outside the Catholic Church, he can have everything except salvation. One can have honor. One can have the sacraments. One can sing alleluia. One can answer amen. One can have faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and preach it too. But never can one find salvation except in the Catholic Church. St. Fulgentius in 533 said, Most firmly hold and never doubt that not only pagans, but also all Jews, all heretics, and all schismatics who finish this life outside of the Catholic Church will go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Pope Pelagius II said, Those who are not willing to be at agreement in the Church of God cannot remain with God. Although given over to flames and fires, they burn or thrown to wild beasts. They lay down their lives. They will not be for them the crown of faith, but the punishment of faithfulness, not of glorious result of religious virtue, but the ruin of despair. Such a one can be slain, he cannot be crowned. Pope Pilatus II, very clearly, 6th century Pope, saying the exact opposite about martyrs and other faiths. They said, you can lay down your life. You can lay down your life, but it does not matter if you're not part of the true faith. We read the comment from, we read the, from the Council of Florence, but St. Alphonse Liguori, he came out, he says, we should not forget that the devil has his martyrs. 
and that he infuses into them a false constancy. It is not the punishment, but the cause that makes the martyr. That is the confession of the true faith. The confession of the true faith. That's in his Victories of the Martyrs. In the papal bull Unum Sanctum in 1302, we declare, say, define, and pronounce. Sounds like a papal infallible statement to me, right? We declare, say, define, and pronounce that it is absolutely necessary for the salvation of every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Is the Coptic Orthodox Church subject to the Roman pontiff? I would say no. They would say no. That's why they're Orthodox and not Catholic. That's why they're schismatics. Now, Hillary White on Twitter talking about this says, look, I like the Coptics, but extra ecclesium nosaurus is really specific. And if we believe everything they tell us, canonizations are infallible papal acts. This means he has just required Catholics with the power of the papacy to deny a dogma of the faith. And this is why I say the canonizations cannot be infallible. They cannot be. And there's many arguments that we'll get into in a second. But just from that alone, we have to either say that the church has been wrong all this time about salvation, or the disputed question on infallibility is that canonizations are not infallible. Now, Father Martin, he came out, he said, not Father James Martin, a different Father Martin, Father Martin Navarro says, the reason these Eastern and Oriental churches have to renounce their juridical autonomy to be united to the vicar of Christ is that it is essential for their salvation. So now that Pope Francis has declared that it's not absolutely necessary to be united juridically under the Bishop of Rome to be saved, what motive do these Eastern and Oriental churches have to renounce their juridical autonomy to be governed by Rome? Now, what is Father Martin referring to? Father Martin is referring to the papal bull Unum Sanctum, saying that it is absolutely necessary for the salvation of every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Now, if... Pope Francis simply has said that you can be a saint and not be subject to the Roman pontiff. Then also, what does this mean for everyone who accuses the people like the SSPX? Or what about even said of a contest? People who don't believe that there is a pope. What about all these different people who people condemn these traditionalists say, oh, you're being disobedient to the pope. Well, apparently schismatics can be saved. Schismatics can be saints. So what does that mean for all these other groups? I guess they're fine according to this teaching. Now, of course, I would put them in a different category anyway. I wouldn't say that those people are schismatics. I would say that there is a, a fine distinction there, a very good distinction that needs to be made there. But this is very concerning. People, uh, then Father Martin also says here, he says, people saying schismatics should be avoided and shunned, but Pope Francis has declared one a doctor of the universal church. And we're placing 21 others in the Roman martyrology telling us that we should study their theology and imitate their lives. Pope Francis obviously doesn't have a problem with their, quote, stolen holy orders, either which makes sense in light of Dominus Jesus number 17. Now here he quotes, and I didn't even know that this happened. This happened like in 2015, I believe, where Pope Francis came out and he proclaimed Gregory of Narek, who is a Coptic Orthodox person who they people they identify as a saint and he declared him a doctor of the church how can a schismatic be a doctor of the church saint or so-called saint gregory of Narek, he was 
here the the uh, Franciscan media actually does a, a saying of the day on him, and in it they actually mention this. They say, as opposed to the Armenian Catholic Church that began in the 17th century, the earlier Armenian Apostolic Church did not accept the Council of Chalcedon in 451, teaching that the Christ was fully divine and fully human. So Gregory of Narek, who's part of that church, the Armenian Apostolic Church, he is in that tradition. He's not a member of the Armenian Catholic Church, which began the 17th century. Because Gregory of Narek was around in the 11th century, or 10th, 11th century. So how does this work? What does that mean? This is very, very concerning, something that we really should keep on the forefront of our mind. Now, I think the solution here is a very simple one, because I don't think this needs to be a crisis that says, okay, this destroys the faith. I don't believe that at all. Instead, I say the simple solution is that now we have an answer to the question, the disputed question on papal infallibility. The disputed question on papal infallibility is whether or not the canonizations of saints are infallible or not. And it seems clear to me that canonizations are not infallible. And why do I say that? Well, St. Thomas even talks about, when he talks about papal infallibility in regards to canonizations, he says that it is a what he calls a secondary object of infallibility, meaning that it's not directly infallible, but we should hold it with religious piety. So we should not disagree with canonizations unless we have a really, really, really good reason. Now, the, he says that we should hold to it with religious piety. And this has a, and this is a real thing. This is not something that we should just disregard, meaning that we should hold that canonizations are true unless we have a very good reason to do otherwise. And it seems as though we kind of have affirmed this already in the church whenever after the council we removed many saints from the liturgical calendar. For instance, St. Valentine's Day is no longer on the Roman calendar. Why? Because it was believed by a lot of modern people that St. Valentine wasn't real. He was never even a real person. And so they took him off the calendar. Uh, what about St. Christopher? That was the same thing with St. Christopher. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, he was not real. So we're going to take him off the liturgical calendar. There's a number of saints who they were saying that about, and they took them off the liturgical calendar. Now, certainly they're still, because the, the, the sense of the faithful remains true, they continue to believe in these saints and pray to these saints because we recognize them as real, because the church has always prayed to them. But it seems as though that the church after the council seems to also believe that canonizations are not infallible if we can decanonize certain people and say that, oh, we were actually, we actually had feast days for people who weren't even real. So if we can do that, then I think it's very clear that we can also do the same thing for people who just died recently and say, oh, well, maybe we were just wrong about those canonizations. What a, what a discombobulated mess that we have here, because there are some questionable saints on the other side. They're like the Ethiopian Coptic Orthodox. They've got Pontius Pilate as a saint. The, the Russians have canonized the entire royal family that were executed by the communists. That and, and the Greeks also have canonized Constantine, the emperor, he, who converted on his deathbed, but uh, did so many uh, awful acts prior to his death. So I, I don't know uh, what's going to be happening, but it just 
looks like a Pandora's box has been opened. And if we have a willy-nilly Pope in the future, we're going to have an awful lot of funky, questionable saints out there, and it's going to be more confusion for the faithful. Yes. So the here is the is what I wanted to read this to you. Uh, very briefly, I'd like to bolster this contention that Aquinas is, in fact, adopting the decretals position by looking at his subsequent commentaries. In the course of correcting John of Naples' misinterpretation of Aquinas, St. Antoninus explicitly attributes to Aquinas the belief that the Pope might be able to err in such acts as canonizations. Thomas places the canonization of the saints in the third category of things done by the Pope, of which things he says that although the Pope could err, still it is piously to be believed that God would not permit his church to err in this way. Antoninus here makes explicit the possibility that Aquinas tacitly left standing. No matter how one reads this line, Antoninus is taking Aquinas to be bracketing the question of whether the Pope can err and only addressing what we should believe. In so doing, Antoninus places Aquinas in the decretalist tradition. What is this to say? It is to say this should not shake our faith in canonizations in general and say that, no, we should just now question every single saint. Instead, it should mean we should accept the saints. We should accept the canonizations. We should accept those who are holy and live holy lives. But if there is grave concern about a certain saint and you look at them and they're like oh my goodness this is very very concerning how is it and then we should look at okay how were they canonized what is the context of their canonizations what was the investigation done what were the miracles associated with them and then proceed from there because remember after the council we got rid of the devil's advocate and that was a huge element to promoting canonizations to having canonizations be trusted which is actually talked about by Robert Bellarmine as one of the reasons we can trust canonizations is because of the devil's advocate, which we don't have anymore. So this question is something that's going to be ongoing, and I'm sure we'll probably have more conversations about this in the coming days. But that's going to do it for the first hour. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Dave Palmer about divine simplicity, plus our Fear and Trembling game shows coming up right after this break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I didn't take my faith seriously, which which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. I mean, the reason we sin is because sin is fun. But it's, it's self-love sin. But it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Why is your Protestant Bible four ounces lighter than my Catholic Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a faulty scale? Nope. Well, maybe it's just the weight of the paper or the cover or the binding or some introductory comments. We wish it were just that simple. No, it's the seven books that got dismissed by team Martin Luther. Secondly, audacity. Audacity allowed Luther and others to extract time-tested truths of Scripture and key letters from the canon. What? Yes, about 1,200 years after the Bible canon was fully established, they rejected seven Old Testament books. Not only that, Luther placed the New Testament books of James and Jude, Hebrews and Revelation in a category called, quote, the disputed books. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. If I were to write a deeply personal letter to my wife regarding our future descendants, don't be taking seven of my choice paragraphs out of that letter. Why? You might be robbing those future descendants of a little bit of who Papa was. Now, don't you do that. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to say some prayers for the souls in purgatory. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed often for those in purgatory? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Faith, hope, charity. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, my name is Catherine and Valerie and Sarah, and we attend St. Maximilian Colby Catholic Community. And you're listening to KSHJ Houston, 1430 AM. Radio for your soul. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. I'm so glad to be here with you today. It is a good day to be here on Catholic Radio. It's always a good day to be on Catholic Radio. The sun is shining. It's rising, reminding us of the risen Lord, especially during this Easter season. We're coming up on Ascension Thursday pretty soon. We'll probably do a show on Ascension Thursday coming up, talking about that as a uh, something that we should definitely keep in mind to meditate upon a lot of things like resurrected bodies and all these really great topics uh, maybe i can convince dave palmer to do a show on the ascension next thursday uh, but joining us right now is dave palmer from back to the father uh, good morning to you dave dave can you hear me uh dave uh we're gonna have to figure out what's wrong with your uh with your setup here and get you on board with us. Good morning to you, Dave. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. I can hear you now. Uh, good morning right, to you, there. Dave. Uh, tell me about uh, the... Well, before we go, can I can I convince you that we do a show on the Ascension next Thursday, next Friday for Back to the Father? Well, I think so. Yeah, we, we've been going kind of sequentially through the Summa, but, you know, you can always make exceptions. you got to be flexible. So, yeah, sure, let's let's do that. Yeah, there you go. See, there you go. <laughs> My goal yeah. in life is to uh, <laughs> to manipulate Dave into talking about to the topics I'm, to- I'm interested in. <laughs> uh, you have that kind of power, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, the very interesting topics on the docket, though, for today, the divine simplicity uh, plus William of Ockham, uh, where do you want to begin uh, with that topic? Well, let's talk about simplicity first, because, uh, you know, I, I always say when I teach the attributes of God, the very first attribute that Thomas explains to try to describe God is his simplicity. And I always say it's ironic because it's, to me, the most complicated one to explain uh, you know, God is simple, but it's because of our limited uh, ability to grasp a God because of the limitations of us and not the limitations of God, it's hard for us to, to kind of figure it out. And, you know, and God should be a little complicated for us because he is so much uh, above us. And so his, you know, simplicity is means things like he doesn't have a body. He's not a composite. He's not matter and form. He's, he, he, he can't be acted upon. He has no potentiality. Uh, he's pure act, okay, those are easy enough. But then it gets into things like 
his essence and his existence are the same. Okay, <laughs> and that's when you start losing people because it's it's so bizarre to think that you know Thomas says God is existence. All right, and so you, you just have to kind of go and pray about that and try to try to wait. He is existence. What does that mean? And you know his you know things like his his intellect and his will and his nature and his essence are all the, the same for God. It's only from our perspective that we have to kind of divide them up. But yeah, and again, this is the simplicity. So see how complicated simplicity is. I, I'm confused, Dave. You're trying to tell me that it's divine simplicity. Isn't it supposed to be simple, Dave? It is simple if you're God, but and, and it'll be simpler, you know, in in, in beatitude because, uh, you know, we'll be able to understand these things a little bit more clearly. But right now, I mean, our our minds are limited, and we come to know things through the senses, and so understanding God, you know, should be complicated for us. It's not like understanding your pet goldfish or your dog or or even your wife or your your best friend. Uh, God is from our perspective, more complicated. But that doesn't mean we can't try to figure them out, but they, and that's what Thomas tries to do in the Summa. That's what we're going to try to do today at 1 o'clock on Back to the Father. <laughs> well, I'm excited for it because I think divine simplicity is probably one of the most important teachings of the Church because, I, I mean, it's very clear that the Church endorses this teaching as a, as a teaching of the Church and our view of God. And what it means, essentially is that, like you said, God is not composed of parts. His essence is his existence, his goodness, beauty. We kind of like make distinction to say, oh, yeah, the, the attributes of being, uh, goodness, beauty, truth. Uh, but to God, those are all the same thing. They're, they're united. They're not distinguished. But to us, we, we kind of make break them into parts so we can kind of understand it a little bit better. And not like us, where we can chop off an arm. You can't chop off the arm of God uh, because he is whole, whole and entire. And I think it's very, very important, uh, especially when we get into trying to interpret the scriptures when it says, oh, God was angry. Oh, God laughed or God was happy and things like that. You're like, okay, well, how does divine simplicity fit into this? I think it's very important. But we're going to switch over. So if people want to learn more about that, they're going to have to tune in at 1 p.m., to get a full diagnosis of the situation. But uh, also, you're going to be talking about William of Ockham. I think a lot of people may have heard of Ockham's razor, but have no idea where that comes from and who, what Ockham refers to. So let's begin there. Uh, who is William of Ockham? Yeah, well, William of Ockham, first of all, he was a, uh, a Franciscan friar, so he, he, was, he was Catholic. And he lived in the period right after Aquinas. He was born in 1287. He died in 1347. And this was the time of the Avignon Papacy. He actually ended up getting excommunicated. Uh, but he, yeah, the, Occam's razor is one of the things that sounds so simple. The, the complicated definition is, is entities are not to be multiplied beyond necessity. But what it means is he's saying, you know, when you're choosing between two explanations for something, Choose, choose the simpler, less complicated, you know, method, the one where you don't have to make as many assumptions. And I think most people would say, wow, that, that sounds really good. But what happened is when he starts looking at Aquinas and the, the Aristotle tradition and scholasticism, he starts throwing stuff out because of simplicity. And, you know, oh, I don't really believe in forms. I don't believe things. there's anything real in things. We can't really come to know things in, in, in their essence. And, and this is one of those things, Adrian, that sounds like, oh, it just sounds like philosophers up in the ivory tower talking about nonsense. But 
This, you know, I'm convinced because I've watched so many talks on this that many of the problems that we have today can be traced back to Occam and what's called nominalism. And that's what I'm going to try to explain as best as I can today is the fundamental problem of his teaching on nominalism. He didn't make it up, but he's the one that popularized what's called nominalism. Yeah, no, I think that's very important. And people may get confused, like, oh, nominalism, what on earth do you mean by nominalism? Well, like uh, Dave said, it can get complicated, but the simple way to understand it, I think, is you think uh, nomen, which is like nomen, nomen, which means name. So that you name something. And so nominalism is the idea that you give something existence or a meaning by your by you naming it. So it's kind of uh, what the uh, Alice in Wonderland, and they talk about there in Alice in Wonderland, they say, is, uh, who is to be master over the words? That's the only question. And this is basically, in my view, how you can understand nominalism and say, oh, yeah, they just want to assign meaning to words. And they can make those words mean whatever they want them to mean which is exactly what we see with this kind of relativism in the world today. Do you think that's a fair assessment, Dave? Yeah, the, the opposite of nominalism is realism, okay? Like Plato was a realist, you know, even, even though he, he separated the form and, you know, you know the, 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 the universal forms and then what we experienced down below. He, was a re, he thought there was something real about things. Uh, Aristotle was a realist. Aquinas was a realist where we can look at something like a, a frog or a bird or a cloud or, you know, you name it, a tree, and there's something real in that. And there's something, and, and it also has to do with nature, is that the, there's a nature. There's something uh, that, that, that particular thing can, can achieve perfection. And, and so, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. If you just assign, it, it becomes our role to assign names to things rather than saying, I want to discover what's real about this thing in order to better understand its creator because what's real about these things exists first in God. And so if I'm taking control of these things and just putting names on them, well, then you're, you're limiting God's involvement in the created world. And you're like, Oh, I think I got this all figured out. It's taking control over what we don't have control over. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's going to be a great conversation, especially if you uh, we dive deep into that conversation because yeah, these kind of things can get seem to get a little bit in the weeds. But what I always tell people, ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. And so people like to think, oh, if these are just philosophy, ivory tower ideas, who cares what a some uh, monk in the, in the 16th century had to say about this, that, and the other? Uh, it does not matter, uh, but they do matter. These things matter because it starts to get invibed in the culture. It gets invibed in the minds. It's taught to the universities. And who's attending those universities? Uh, people who are people like priests, people who become teachers. And what do they do? They start teaching it to other people. And so it trickles down to the culture. And you may hold to anomalous ideas, and you're like, I never took a class on anomalism my entire life. But you don't need to because you have invibed the ideas from the culture and from the people around you, and it just has become part of your disposition uh, unbeknownst to yourself. So, uh, Dave, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, these ideas are important, or are we just having a fun time uh, playing uh, philosopher? 
<laughs> I think you probably know my answer to that. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, take, put, put it this way. Uh, one of the big fans of William of Ockham was Martin Luther. Uh, you know, um, the people like David Hume, you know, was, was greatly influenced. Uh, Immanuel Kant was greatly influenced. And, again, these are names that a lot of people maybe have heard of. But you're absolutely right. One idea spawns another idea, which spawns another idea. And I think the challenge and something that I'm going to try to do at 1 o'clock today is explain these things in such a way that it makes sense to the average person. I I think that's often the problem is that, uh, you know, the the consequences are are here in the culture where people people think that they can just kind of create themselves. They can make themselves whatever they want to be. I mean, that's real. People can understand that. But like you said so well, the origin of these ideas, you got to go back hundreds and hundreds of years and kind of pick it apart and see where we got. Because if you don't know the source of the problems, it's hard to find a solution. Amen. Amen. That's a great point. To find the source of the problem, uh, the only way to to solve a problem is to find the source of the problem first. It's kind of like if you have a leak in your house and you just keep on mopping the floor and you're like, man, I don't know why we keep having this problem. But all you ever do is mop the floor. Well, you're never going to actually solve the problem until you figure out where that leak is coming from and patch that leak. The same thing is true of our philosophies, right? The same thing is true of our philosophies. If we are mopping up the mess of our philosophies and saying, why is it that people think men can become women and women become men? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you keep trying to correct people on that, but you don't go to the root of the problem, then you will never be able to actually stomp out these errors uh so last question dave uh tell me about back to the father how can people connect where can people get uh, the information and watch and interact with you and ask questions because uh, we love questions in the in the back to the father tell me about that yeah the the show back to the father refers to the fact that you know the goal in our life is to return to god you know we want to experience a beatific vision and that's what aquinas wrote the summa about and so we can return back to the father it airs not on the radio, but it's on all of the social media platforms of Guadalupe Radio and uh, Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. And we have an email list. And if anybody wants to just send, be sent an email um, on Friday, probably in the next few hours, just saying, hey, click on this link and you can watch the show at 1 o'clock Central Time today. You can email us to get on the email list. <laughs> and the email is back to the father at grnonline.com. So back to the father at grnonline.com. And always good to talk to you guys. Thanks for the opportunity, Adrian. Amen, amen. God bless you, Dave. Look forward to hearing it today. And uh, have a great and blessed rest of your weekend as well. Thanks, Adrian. You too. And that's going to do it for the segment with uh, Dave Palmer. And I'm excited to uh, have twisted his arm into talking about the Ascension next week. So there we go. That's a win in my book, I say. So it's what St. Thomas had to say about the Ascension next Friday on Back to the Father. Let's rock it. Uh, but we're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling, where you can win prizes. The way to win, well, you first you got to call in 877-757-9424, 877 877- 757-9424 to be the first caller and you could win the prize 877-757-9424 we always take the first caller so if you call now you will be our contestant 877-757-9424 we'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for vocations to the priesthood. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Which of these is the most difficult for you to objectively believe? Jonah lived in a whale, Moses heard God's voice in a bush, Peter's authoritative declarations would be backed by heaven, or that Daniel survived the flames of fire? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the results. Most difficult was Jonah, then Daniel, then Moses. The easiest was Peter receiving authority to grant forgiveness. Secondly, the early church was tough. You see, that authority granted to Peter could put one out of the church due to sin, and that same authority was installed to bring one back into the church through personal confession. We understand that reconciliation with the church is inseparable from reconciliation with God. And thirdly, our Bibles are filled with promises, but this promise was to Peter, the apostles, and the generational successors of Peter known as the Catholic bishops. So here's an idea. Take a drive down your street, look up at a Catholic church, and just know this for a fact. That priest inside that church was ordained straight down through the lineage of St. Peter. Hey, Donnie, what do we say when we make the sign of the cross? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did Mama teach you that? As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Seven five seven nine four two four. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. That number eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. That's the number to call. We always take the first caller, so make sure you call in and you could win. You might be asking, what what am I calling into again? Well, the what I'm calling what you're calling into is the Fear and Trembling Game Show, where we have three Catholic trivia questions. And the trick is we're not gonna ask you the questions. No, instead, we are actually gonna ask Tito the questions. He's going to answer the questions and he's going to give us an answer. It's your job to determine whether or not he's trying to trick you. Does he is he telling you the truth or is he lying to you? Which means that for every question there is a 50-50 chance of you getting the question correct. A very simple solution to the problem. And that is very good because even if you don't know anything, just guessing, you are likely to win at least one question and every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize tito what could they win thank you adrian the fear and trembling prize for this week is by catholic answers a book by father sebastian walsh called heart of the gospel 
In Heart of the Gospel, Father Walsh demonstrates compellingly how these eight declarations from the Sermon on the Mount, known as the Beatitudes, make up the foundation, essence, and final goal of Jesus' teachings. They are as central to the Gospel as the Ten Commandments were to the Old Law, a roadmap for navigating the New Covenant, available now from Catholic Answers. Thank you very much to Catholic Answers for sponsoring today's game show. And actually, we're going to be giving out the prize today, so whoever calls in will actually uh, be able to hear live whether or not they're going to be able to win this week's prize. So make sure you're able to keep that number on your... uh, Make sure you keep that number on on your speed dial, 877-757-9424. Make sure you have that number have that number in your speed dial if you want to be able to call in in the future and make sure you check out our website grnonline.com forward slash cdt there you can always get connected with us and find all of our contact information listed there grnonline.com forward slash cdt to get connected with us and joining us right now is danny good morning to you danny good morning danny where are you calling from from Sunnyville, Texas. Sunnyville, Texas. Praise be to God. Uh, Sunnyville. Is it known for being sunny? Is that why it's called Sunnyville? It is in Texas, so it's pretty sunny usually. But we've had a uh, wetter than normal. Okay, uh, so, you're, spring, so what you're saying is that uh, recently it's sunny because of the sunny disposition of the people. That's what you're saying. That's a fact. There you go. Praise be to God. It is. We love. Southern hospitality. We love Southern joy. Um, going around, uh, when I visit other places, I'm always like, man, Southern hospitality is totally a real thing. Did not realize. I'm like, oh, yeah, people are just normal. Some people are mean. Some people are nice. Uh, but when you leave the South and you're like, wow, Southern hospitality is exactly very much a real thing. So uh, we love it. Uh, thanks be to God. But, Danny, uh, you have you listened to the show before? Do you Are you familiar with how the game works? Yes, sir. I, I'm familiar with it. Awesome, awesome. And uh, so you know Tito can be a little tricky sometimes. Are you uh, ready to be able to discern his tricks? I'm not sure, but I'll <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit for some guidance. Amen, amen. That's the way to do it. That's Put your trust in the Lord, not in princes. So let's jump into it. Uh, are you ready to play the game? I'm ready. Let's do it. Tito, question number one. All right. Which prayer includes the words... Bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts. Oh, man, I all of a sudden, I'm hungry. Must be uh, the uh, prayer before meals, I guess. Uh, technically, the grace before meals. Grace before meals, yeah. Grace before meals. I'm hungry. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts. I mean, it doesn't sound like a Christmas prayer. Interesting, interesting. All right, if you say so. All righty, Danny. Have you ever prayed before you eat? Have you, uh, before you eat before? I don't know. I, do you have, maybe you have, and maybe you know the answer to this question. The question is, what prayers includes the words, Bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts? 15 seconds on the clock. Tito seems to think it's grace before meals. Well, if you've ever said grace before meals, you'll know whether or not he's telling the truth or lying to you. What say you, Danny, from Sunnyville, Texas? He's telling the truth. Praise be to God, Danny. You nailed it. Uh, You, sir, clearly are a man who never misses a prayer before meals, right? 
Never miss a meal. People that know me know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I the the classic Catholic uh, response. You you take a take a bite of the food, and then you see someone make the sign of the cross. You're like, oh, and you're like, rush, whoops. It happens to the best just, of us. If I just had a dollar for every time that happened. <laughs> right exactly, exactly. So praise be to God. All righty, Danny, are you ready for question number two? I'm ready. Let's do it. Question number two, Tito. Okay. Which virtue is the angelic virtue? Angelic virtue. I've got to confess I know zero about angels except my guardian angel, which... I finally started getting in a good habit of praying to, with, for, and uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to go with flying. Uh, they fly a lot. They got wings. Some of them got six wings. Some of them got m- more than that. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about angels, but uh, that's a virtue I think they have. They can fly. So you're saying like swiftness. 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 Yes. Agility. Agility, mm. dexterity, Dexteri- that's, dynamism. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes. Interesting. All righty. Danny, well, I mean, the the angels have a lot of virtues. This is true. They have a lot of virtues, but 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, which virtue is the angelic virtue? Well, Tito seems to think it's flying. What say you, Danny, from Sunnyville, Texas? I, I would say I don't think he's right on that account. All right. He says he doesn't think you're right. And you are correct. He is, in fact, not correct about that. The answer is, in fact, chastity. Chastity, chastity is the angelic virtue. You would think it would be like wisdom or knowledge or something, but no, it is chastity. And that is why, and that is why the, uh, that St. Thomas is known as the angelic doctor because of his great chastity. Because blessed are the pure of heart. For they shall see God. All righty, Danny, you are doing great. Are wow. you uh, confident that you're going to get question number three right? <laughs> Never confident, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, set the bar low, and you will always be uh, you always be satisfied, right? Yeah, except in limbo. Well, there you go. All righty. <laughs> Except in limbo, I just got that. I was thinking limbo, like the uh, limbo of the, of Abraham. Yeah. But you're talking about yeah. like with the stick. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, Danny, are you ready for question number trace? Ready for number three. All right, you. So you know what language trace is, right? Yes. Hey, what language is it? Espanol. What? No, it's nah. Maltese. It's Maltese. Trace. Is Maltese for three. Everybody knows that. All righty. Number three, uh, Tito. The question is, name the prayer after the consecration where the celebrant beseeches God to accept this offering. My goodness. I, I've got a mimeographic memory. I can remember obscure things, but I can't remember angelic virtues. But I, this one, because I, I serve at uh, Saturday nights, it's the Super Quay. Oh, I, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, yeah. The Supra Quay yeah. is what you're saying. Yep. Well, it sounds official to me. It sounds like a like a real thing to me in my book. Yeah, i um, got, got to ring the bells, you know? All right, all right. Well, there's your question for you, Danny. 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, name the prayer after the consecration where the celebrant beseeches God to accept this offering. The question is, the answer that Tito gave is Supra Quay, 
15 seconds of the clocks. Danny, what say you? Is he right or is he wrong? What say you, Danny, from Sunnyville, Texas? My instinct is saying Philly Oakway, so I'm going to say he is wrong. Are you sure you're going to go with wrong? I think I am. All right, he's going to go with wrong. Oh, no, oh, so close, Danny. So close. You were you were two for three, uh, but in fact, it is the Supra Quay. The Filioque is the and the sun that's in the creed. That's in the creed. Oh, and so, yeah, right. so if the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, Filioque and the sun. That's what that is. So, But that's okay. You got two for three. Stay on the line. We're going to be shaking up the coffee cup of divine providence right now. We're going to pull a name. It could be your name. We shall see. He's shaking it up real good, making sure that not there's no chance that we accidentally get the top one. And just shaking it up, making it nice and even for everyone. And the answer is... Mary Rita calling on this Tuesday show. Praise be to God, Mary Rita. Praise be to God. Thank you very much for calling in and playing the game. Thank you, you Danny. Won. And Danny, so Good sorry job. that you, your name was not pulled out. Today. I say again? I learned some today, so it was a good thing. Praise be to God, Danny. Praise be to God. Make sure you keep our number. We'd love to have you call back in the future. Uh, God bless you and God love you. And remember, Christ is risen. Amen. 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 All righty, Danny, I'm going to let you go and uh, have a blessed rest of your weekend. I hope uh, everything goes well and that you're nice and celebrating for our Easter season. Uh, but that's going to do it for the Catholic Drive Time Show today. If you can join us in the after show, well, you certainly can hop on with us in the Rumble, Odyssey, Facebook, YouTube, and chat with us directly. We'd love to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Uh, we'll probably talk more about the topic we covered about the canonizations. I'm sure that'll come up. And all sorts of other questions. Whatever you want to talk about, we'd love to have that discussion with you. If not, we'll see you back here Monday morning at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. God love you. God bless you. And have a blessed weekend. And remember, Christ is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. Truly, he is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. God bless you and God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. At Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, home of the Salt community. For more information, please visit salt.net. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Pancras. This Mass is offered for the intentions of our online viewers and for those listening to us through Guadalupe Radio Media. This is the one who was not deserted by God on the day of struggle and now wears a crown of victory for faithfulness to the Lord's commands 
Alleluia. This is the one who was not deserted by God on the day of struggle and now wears a crown of victory for faithfulness to the Lord's commands. Alleluia. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Pancras, who lived in the late 200s and early 300s. It is said that he grew up in what is now western Turkey. He became an orphan when he was eight, was cared for by his uncle, who moved them both to Rome. It was there that they both came to faith in Christ. When Pancras was 14, the Emperor Diocletian began his persecution, and soon they were hauled before the ruler, who demanded that they offer incense to the false Roman gods. When St. Pancras refused, the ruler was impressed by his courage and determination for young so, one so young. He offered him power and riches he would give in, but he would not. And he gave his life as a martyr on this day in perhaps the year 304. 300 years later, when St. Augustine of Canterbury went as a missionary to England, the first chapel he built he dedicated to St. Pancras. And medieval church in London, named for St. Pancras, gave its name to the district in which it was located and also the international railway station that now operates there. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. May your church rejoice, O God, confident in the intercession of the martyr St. Pancras, and by his glorious prayers, may she persevere in devotion to you and stand ever firm. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The apostles and presbyters, in agreement with the whole church, decided to choose representatives and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. The ones chosen were Judas, who was called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers. This is the letter delivered by them. The apostles and the presbyters, your brothers to the brothers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, of Gentile origin, greetings. 
Since we have heard that some of our number who went out without any mandate from us have upset you with their teachings and disturbed your peace of mind, we have with one accord decided to choose representatives and to send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul who have dedicated their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are sending Judas and Silas who will also convey this message by word of mouth. It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and of us not to place on you any burden beyond these necessities, namely, to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats of strangled animals, and from unlawful marriage. If you keep, of, if you keep free of these, you will be doing what is right. Farewell. And so they were sent upon their journey. Upon their arrival in Antioch, they called the assembly together and delivered the letter. When the people read it, they were delighted with the exhortation. The word of the Lord. I will give you thanks among the peoples, O Lord. I will give you thanks among the peoples, O Lord. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and chant praises. Awake, O my soul. Awake, lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn. I will give you thanks among the peoples, O Lord. I will give thanks to you among the peoples, O Lord. I will chant your praises among the nations. For by your mercy towers to heaven and your faithfulness to the skies. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Above all the earth be your glory. I will give you thanks among the peoples, O Lord. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. I call you my friends, says the Lord, for I have made known to you all that the Father has told me. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. We remember at times in the Gospels we hear about someone who asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
And the Jews traditionally numbered those commandments at 613 of them. So which of them was the greatest? Remember that Jesus said, You shall love the Lord with all your heart. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We might hear that. Some might possibly think, Oh, whew, wow. Of all the commandments he told us to, to follow, the greatest. I mean, he said love. How easy, how warm and fuzzy. This is going to be great. All you need is love. Or whatever sometimes people say, love wins. I mean, pff, wow, how easy. But probably there's others who say, oh boy, love, real love, is hard. And it is. And Jesus helps us to understand this in what we hear from our reading today, our gospel reading, which comes within the Last Supper. As he clarifies, if, in case we would misunderstand it, what he meant. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. Not what the pop songs say love is. Not what the movie characters say love is. Love one another as I love you. And anyone who knows, knows Jesus should become a little afraid at that point and say, wait, you mean I'm supposed to be as good as you, as strong as you, as free as you, that I need to reach out even to those who have been rejected, that I need to reach out to those who have been condemned, that I need to give of myself, seek them out, even sacrificially, even till it hurts. He says, yes. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, and we know he's right about to do it. And he says, Love one another that way. Love one another that way. It can be helpful to think of St. Thomas's Aquinas' definition of love. To love is to will the good of the other. Let's take that in pieces. The other, the other person. And that's really important. If you say, I love pizza, you're using the word in a very different way. Because in devouring pizza, you're not loving pizza, you're loving yourself by consuming pizza. You don't actually love the pizza, you love yourself. And you can't love another person by devouring them, including entering into sexual relations outside of marriage with them. That's not loving them, that's loving yourself wrongly through devouring them. Or again, if it's children or spouse, and you're trying to make them, make you look good, that's not loving them, that's again trying to seek to love yourself. You love the other. Secondly, to will their good. What is their good? Their good is their objective good. Not subjective, not what they want, not what you want, not what makes them happy. And we know that if someone becomes very hurt or very twisted, what they want and what makes them happy might be very wrong and actually for their harm. But what is actually for their good, what God knows is for their good, what actually truly fulfills them, what they need to become, what they need to do. That, that, they're good. Thirdly, you will it. That is, internally you desire it, you choose it, and then outwardly, as far as it depends upon you, when you have the chance, you act to bring it about. To will the good of the other. And how important to keep all this in view. We know that it is not good for others to spoil them, to help them become worse. 
It is not good for others to abuse them, whether emotionally or physically or sexually or in any other way. Abuse is not okay. It is not loving for others to speak falsehoods. As St. Pancras would not act out the falsehood of offering incense to the false Roman gods, so too we cannot act out the falsehood of, for example, saying that two men can get married. That's not marriage. Or if a man feels unhappy about being a man and decides to have surgery and hormone treatment and dress differently, it is not loving to say that he is a woman or call him he or her, she or her. Falsehood never helps anybody. Like St. Pancras, it might cost us to live out the truth. But Jesus says, love one another as I love you. So it is that we pay attention to others' needs, their physical needs, even as basic as food and drink and clothing and housing, and their spiritual needs, needs like knowledge, including knowing God, needs like living in a morally good way, needs like consolation in their suffering, needs like being forgiven, needs like having somebody pray for them. In all these ways, we act for their good. Jesus has chosen us, as he says. He's made us his friends. To be chosen by God, to become a friend of Jesus, is to mean some difficulty, some suffering, some challenges. The St. Pancras would certainly agree. But Jesus has chosen us and appointed us to go and bear fruit that will last beautiful, glorious fruit in our lives and in other lives that will last for all eternity. Let us love as Jesus has loved us. Brothers and sisters, let us pray to God the Father, the source of all life and origin of all good, asking him to have mercy upon the whole human family. For those who during this Easter season have been or will be incorporated into the church through baptism, for those who have been more fully grafted into her by confirmation or First Holy Communion, that they may live in accord with the sacraments in which they share, let us pray to the Lord. For those who work in the advancement of science and technology, and for those who hold in their hands the riches or power of the world, that they may place in the service of others their power, progress, and achievements, let us pray to the Lord. For unbelievers and sinners, for those who have lost hope or who doubt their faith, for those who are afraid of loneliness or death, that they may find in the gospel the strength and help they need, let us pray to the Lord. For ourselves and for our relatives and friends, that Christ the Lord, who willed to suffer the martyrdom of the cross to save us, may turn our sorrow and suffering into joy. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord Jesus, who after the resurrection manifested yourself to your disciples and so gave them happiness and peace, we ask that you hear our prayer and give us the joy of seeing our petitions answered, who live and reign immortal and glorious forever and ever.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. We receive, we pray, O Lord, the sacrifice of conciliation and praise, which we offer to your majesty in commemoration of the blessed martyr Pancras, that it may lead us to obtain pardon and confirm us in perpetual thanksgiving. Through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, at all times to acclaim you, O Lord, but in this time above all, to laud you yet more gloriously when Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. He never ceases to offer himself for us, but defends us and ever pleads our cause before you. He is the sacrificial victim who dies no more, the lamb once slain who lives forever. Therefore, overcome with paschal joy, every land, every people exults in your praise, and even the heavenly powers with the angelic hosts sing together the unending hymn of your glory as they acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncheli et Terra, Gloria Tua. Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini. Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. 
In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you've held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. On qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere no hobis, agnus degegi, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere no hobis, agnus degegi, 
qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my room, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. For those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally at this time, we invite you to make an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. Amen. The body of Christ. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Alleluia. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Alleluia. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let us pray. We have received your heavenly gifts, rejoicing at this feast day, O Lord. Grant, we pray, that we who in this divine banquet proclaim the death of your Son, may merit to be partakers with the holy martyrs in his resurrection and his glory, who lives and reigns forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life.
Regina Celi Leitan The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver Hi, I'm Blake Pellerin from Arrows Rugby, Houston's only Catholic rugby club, and St. Rose of Lima Catholic Community. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Of spell, magic.